Gazette Newspapers presents the Parting Shots Podcast. Now, here's your host, Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Schott. Thank you, Scott Geezy, and welcome to the Parting Shots Podcast. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, and SoundCloud. Subscribe today. Thanks for joining me from the Parting Shots Podcast Studio in Schenectady, New York. We have another great show for you. Later on, I'll speak with Mike Harrington of the Buffalo News on the state of the Buffalo Sabres. Spoiler alert, it's not good. But first, we're talking Major League Baseball. There will be a season with 60 games being played. The drama of getting there was worthy of a soap opera script. To help us understand uh, what's going on and how we arrived at this point is one of the greats, ESPN baseball analyst Tim Kirchin. Tim, uh, thanks for joining me. hope uh, you're well and staying safe, and uh, thanks for coming on. Well, it's my pleasure. Uh, all well here. I hope all is well there. Everything's good right now, Tim. I appreciate it. Uh, you're asking, and uh, let's. How, how did we arrive at this? Uh, you know, it seems like it, it just got it's, the whole thing seemed to spiral out of control. On both sides, uh, the owners and the players. Yeah, it, it's really disappointing that they could not come to an agreement. Uh, especially with what's going on in the country right now. Uh, It seemed like it was a good time to put away some petty issues, which I understand are important, but we got to understand this was a crisis situation here, not a collective bargaining agreement, and to not see it that way was beyond disappointing. However, at least now we know that if health concerns allow – we're going to play baseball, and at least we know when it's going to start and when it's going to end. You really can't plan anything until you know those two things, so let's put the past behind us. It was ugly, and let's play some baseball. Why couldn't we see more than 60? Why, 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 was, why were the owners against 70 games? Expand? I mean, see, like, we, we hope, I think a lot of us are excited about seeing maybe expanded playoffs just because of the shortened season. Yeah, well, there's some people out there that I've spoken to who just didn't think the owners, some owners at least, a small faction of owners, were better off not playing at all than playing, say, 60 games at 100% prorated salary. So the more games you play, which is, of course, what the players wanted, the more the owners would have to pay. And they looked at things and said, well, if there are no fans in the stands, which seems to still be likely, uh, they're better off not playing. And that's very, very discouraging that an owner would actually think that way. But we're going to have to take the 60 games because 60 is better than nothing. I would much rather have 100 or 81, but 60 will take because it's better than zero. Yeah, it seemed like even if you know, they were talking 100 games, we were talking maybe some doubleheaders, which I think the players at this point would not have mind doing it, some doubleheaders. Yeah, but the union is real careful about over-taxing the players. They're very cautious about player safety, as they should be, especially now. But I'm 63 time where we played doubleheaders all the time and it was really cool uh but you got to be careful with the union as far as overloading games there uh but we're going to see some doubleheaders i'm sure we're going to see a lot of bizarre things this year and um we all better be prepared for the strangest season we've ever seen yeah we talk about baseball being a marathon not a sprint now it's the opposite it's going to be a sprint now How does strategy change as we uh, prepare for the season? Well, I think every player and every team has got to know now that we got to go right away because a seven-game losing streak to start the season might set you back in a significant way when you're only playing 60 games. And these teams like the A's who have been such slow starters and then finished so strong, I mean, teams like that have to say, all right, we got to get going here. And guys who are historically slow starters are going to have to say, all right, well, I can't do that anymore. i got to be even more ready to go. But I think the shortened schedule is is going to benefit the mild contenders, even the non-contenders, more in theory than the great teams. Because one of the great beauties of baseball is that any team 
can get really hot for 30 games, 40 games even. doesn't happen that way in the other sports, but it does in baseball. So if you're like a very mild contender and you get off to a great start and build some momentum, that's really going to help you, whereas over 162 games, your lack of depth, your lack of resources, your lack of talent might wear you down, but you might be able to ride it out and be really good for 60 games. That's going to be the real fun part to watch. Obviously, there's going to be a lot of rules uh, dealing with you know, high fives and uh, spinning. And, I mean, I, you know, like I said, with hundred over 100-page report Major League Baseball put out, I mean, how difficult is it going to be to enforce these rules? Well, I don't think we're going to be able to enforce the spitting and touching your face and and sunflower seeds and everything else. I think that's just that was all put in there to show everyone look how careful we are being here. But realistically, I mean, this is a reflexive thing. A lot of these things that these players have done, licking their fingers and doing stuff like that, that's not going to stop. But I think we will see, you know, umpires and managers arguing with an umpire from a distance away. Players sitting a distance away in the dugout and very little contact, high fives or anything else. I think you can legislate that. I think you can handle that. But the stuff that players have been doing since they were seven years old, I'm just not sure how we're going to cut that out. Yeah. I mean, I think you know, one group we haven't talked about through this whole process are the umpires. I mean, they're, they're going to be in a really no-win situation to try and enforce some of these rules. I mean, do you think they'll try to be, you know, warn these players at first, like, let's, let's try to you know, follow protocol? Well, I think there'll be a warning at home plate before every game. You know, we're in a, we're in a different world here, fellas. we got to do the best we can. And I think everyone will try to follow it. But, you know, I'm a big umpire guy. I think that's an extremely difficult job. And now, if you have to police whether a guy spat or a guy put fingers in his mouth while he was playing the infield, I think it's ridiculous. The, the umpires will not have the time and with everything else they have to do care of that. So I think every player is going to have to go in saying, all right, I got to be careful every day. I just hope it doesn't take away from the actual playing of the game, which is certainly possible if guys are so concerned, can I do this, can I not do that, they forget they have to play baseball. Yeah. Uh, some of the big on-field rule changes, Tim, a universal DH, and if games go in extra innings, the runner starts at second base. I'm um, seeing a lot of people really up in arms about both those rules, especially the, uh, the the runner on second base rule. Uh, what do you think of it? I mean, is it just understandable why they're doing it this year? Yeah, I, I'm not in favor of it, not even in a shortened season like this. But again, under extraordinary circumstances like this, it's okay. Almost anything is okay, just as long as we get the game back on the field. My mild concern is that people are going to think this is a great idea moving forward, and then we're going to install it next year or when the next collective bargaining agreement's up. I just think it defeats the purpose of what baseball is all about. You play till somebody wins, you play in extra innings, but this is something to my chagrin, that might gain some momentum. And people might say, hey, why don't we do this all the time? I'm, I'm in favor of it this year. I don't care about this year. This year is going to be so strange anyway. Now's a good time to try out all these things. Maybe we'll learn that some of them are good ideas, and maybe we'll learn that some of them are really bad ideas, and we shouldn't use them moving forward. Yeah, it was one of the questions one of my listeners was going to ask you, Mike Greenberg, how you felt about the uh, future of baseball as far as the code rules becoming permanent with the full DH and extra inning. So that answered that question. Uh, of course, the big question, Tim, what if we see outbreaks of the virus of some of these teams? Yeah, you know, the Phillies right now have had 12 uh, cases down at uh, Clearwater, Florida. The Blue Jays uh, shut down their camp in Dunedin. Uh, a few of the Colorado Rockies have been tested positive. What's the product? What's going to happen if we see more and more teams have players uh, and staff members uh, test positive? 
Well, that's the really big question now, and I, I think we have underplayed this until right now that we just assumed once all the financial situation was taken care of that it would be home free and clear sailing from here when clearly that is not going to be the case. I mean, the fact that camps were closed in Florida is a really bad sign. The fact that three Rockies have tested positive, including Charlie Blackman, who's one of the stars of the game, uh, I think we have to be extra, extra careful now with the health and safety protocols. And as, as positive and upbeat as I am about most things, I'm still not 100% sure we're going to play this year because if COVID rises up even more, these state municipalities may, local municipalities may say, no, 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 you're not going to play in our ballpark here or no fans in the stands or whatever. So it's going to be very interesting to see where we go from here. It's great that we've reached an agreement on certain health protocols, but if it gets worse, uh, baseball is not the sort of game that you can just pick up, play two weeks, and then say, oh, we have to take a two-week break here. It doesn't work that way, so we got to be real careful to do it right the first time. Do you think this 60-game season is going to be legitimate? I mean, to be just, and we get to the World Series, I mean, will, there, will there be any asterisk near this? Well, there'll be an, an imaginary asterisk over this season for the rest of time. There is no way around that because of the extraordinary circumstances. But from a team standpoint, look, I'm, I know I personally will I will crown a champion this year, whoever wins the World Series. Everyone is starting at the same point. Everyone has the same opportunity. And I just don't think it's fair to tell a team, look, these were the rules, 60 games and then a full October. If you win them all, I mean, if you win, you deserve to win. I, I don't think there's a way around that. Let's just say the Dodgers go 45-15 and 15 in the regular season and then just clobber everyone in the month of October. I just don't think it's going to be fair to tell a team that is that loaded, that plays that well for 80 games, you know, 60 regular season and 20, say, in the postseason, and then tell them, no, you're not the world champions. I don't think it works that way, and it should work that way. But when it comes to individual awards, sorry, I'll have to take a stand on that one. That uh, If you hit 400 this year, God bless you, but Ted Williams, for me at least, will still be the last man to hit 400. And if you have an ERA under one, sorry, as great as that is, if you did it in 10 starts and Bob Gibson was 1.12 and, you know, 35 starts, there's a really big difference there. You mentioned starters, Tim. Uh, the pitching, that's going to be interesting how the, the managers are going to handle in such a short season. Starters may not last five innings. Uh, so what, how do you think the pitching is going to be handled? Well, starters don't last five innings anyway. That's the way we play the game today. But I think you're right. I think the way we handle our players and our staffs, pitching staffs, is going to be absolutely critical. They're going to be expanded rosters. You're going to have 50, maybe 60 players, a pool of players from which to choose from in case people get hurt. I can't imagine anyone needing 60 players in a you know a, a 60 game season, but you never know. But health and safety of the players, not just with COVID, but keeping them healthy, you know, with a truncated season and a shortened spring training and everything else. I think we got to be very careful not to get a player hurt badly during this, which is certainly a possibility. So we got to keep our eye on all things moving forward. My son Steven is listening here in, 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 at the uh, studio, and he was asked. He just asked me a question to ask you. What about four-man rotations? Well, we're not going to go to a four-man rotation if it's going to put a pitcher in harm's way at all. Again, we'll go to a six-man rotation before a four-man rotation, but I think we'll see more bullpen games. I think we'll we'll see some healthy players, but I think it's really critical, again, to see how well they're doing um, 
with a shortened spring training. These guys are creatures of habit, and if you get them out of their routine, suddenly they haven't had the necessary reps or the, the enough spring training play, like real exhibition games to get them ready. you got to be careful with how you deal with them, and I think baseball will be very, very cautious about that. He also is asking, my son's also asking, how is free agency going to be affected and will we see uh, the mega uh, contracts again? Well, free agency is clearly going to be affected by what's going on right now. And the fact that the two sides couldn't agree on, on, a, on a, make, you know, come to an agreement, you know, just tells us again how much bad blood there is out there right now. And... I'm sure the owners are going to say, hey, we don't have enough money to pay the premium free agents. We just lost so much in 2020. So that's going to affect the free agent market, which is only going to anger the players even more and get, you know, add to the animus on both sides, which is not something to look forward to. And all these issues are going to drag into next year to some degree also it's going to affect the 2021 season and of course we've got a collective bargaining agreement to come up with so there are still so many questions to be answered here but at least we've gotten through one part of it assuming the health conditions hang on yeah you mentioned the collective bargaining agreement the next question uh we're going to go through this again next year what what can they do to prevent a situation where we're, they're squabbling so much that it's, you know, baseball is going to be affected. Well, these guys have to get together and recognize very quickly that they did a very poor job of keeping things together during a time when the game needed it for its health and the country needed it for morale. So they have to say, look, we got to do better. And, and if it means bringing else, bringing somebody else in. To, to make the negotiations easier. I don't know. I'm not sure what we're talking about there. But something's got to be done to make things better right now because it was very contentious. It was very toxic. And there's a lot of anger and distrust between the two sides. And if we're going to move forward and get a collective bargaining agreement, we're going to have to do a whole lot better job than baseball did the last few months. My last question for you, Tim. Uh, when you're on with Scott Van Pelt on SportsCenter, it always uh, ends up in just hilarity and you losing your <laughs> just laughing like crazy. What's the chemistry be like between you and Scott? Well, Scott's a dear friend of mine, and he's one of the funniest people of all time. And, you know, there are just some people who are going to make you laugh no matter what. That's kind of what he does to me. Plus, he's the master of all dialects, he's the master of all accents, and he and I grew up in Montgomery County, Maryland. We're about 10 years apart, and our county, you know, is only like 50 miles from Baltimore, but the people there speak a different language than we do. It's hilarious. It's wonderful. I love it. And Scott does the greatest Baltimore accent ever. He touches my funny bone every time he does it. I can't help it. I tried to stop, and I can't. Uh, so I think it's okay to have a good, healthy laugh once in a while. And I, I certainly do when I'm around Scott. And we're covering sports for a living, so I'm not apologizing for having a good, hearty laugh uh, once in a while. It's a lot of fun just seeing you. It's just, you, get, you get you going, and it just, you, just, you just lose it. That's, it's, it's, great, it's great television. Well, my pleasure. Well, uh, Tim, where can people follow you on Twitter? Uh, it's Kirchin underscore at ESPN, I think. I, I, I really stink at Twitter, but yeah, I think that's where they can find me. I've, I've written a column every day for 100 days almost now, just my little baseball fix here, an attempt to, to bring a smile to all of our best fans' faces with some stories and some stats that maybe will make people happy for a minute. Um, but now I don't have to do it starting July the 4th, I think, because we're going to have baseball, which is what we've all been rooting for up till now. Well, I mean, they're calling it spring training, but isn't it really summer training right now? They're going to summer training camps? Yeah, summer training is <laughs> its going to be weird. We're not sure where the training's going to happen. It's going to be dreadfully hot. It's 
going to be an interesting, interesting situation to say the least. Well, Tim, I appreciate a few minutes. Uh, good, uh, have enjoy the season. It's going to be a, a wild uh, ride for everybody, and uh, we'll look forward to your great coverage at ESPN and on uh, on the cable side as well. Okay, Ken, thank you. All right, that's Tim Kirsch. And coming up, I'll talk about the Buffalo Sabres with Mike Carrington of the Buffalo News. You're listening to the Party Shots Podcast, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, and SoundCloud. NASCAR fans, it's time to rev up the engines and play the Daily Gazette's Auto Racing Contest. Each week during the 36-week racing season, you pick 10 drivers. If you have the week's best point total, you'll receive a $50 Hannaford gift card. If you have the best point total for the season, you'll win a $250 Hannaford gift card. Be part of the fun. Go to dailygazette.com slash autoracing. Get your motor running and play today. Hi, this is Union Men's Hockey Coach Rick Bennett. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Welcome back to the podcast. If you're a fan of the Buffalo Sabres, you must be wondering what the heck is going on up there. Last week, General Manager Jason Botterill was fired after three seasons. Kevin Adams was named as the replacement. And several members of the hockey operations staff lost their jobs. To talk about what's going on is the man who covers the Sabres for the Buffalo News and someone who I first met nearly 30 years ago when the Empire State Games were in Albany. Here is Mike Harrington. Mike, uh, welcome to the podcast. It's been a while, my friend. Ken, a pleasure. And yeah, boy, you mentioned the Empire State Games. I haven't thought about the Empire State Games in quite a while. But actually, those were great training grounds for journalism. But the biggest thing I learned from the Empire State Games was how the media can get fed very well in the press center. <laughs> Those were we, the always ate, we always ate well in the press center. Now you go cover Major League Baseball, the NHL. You can eat very well in a lot of these places, and I first learned that at the Empire State Games. <laughs> was, you know, actually, they were only for my first – I just arrived here in 1990, so 91 and 92 are my first years of covering that. It was a lot of fun. We got to cover some different sports, and you know, I enjoyed it. You know, we got to meet you, and uh, actually, you and I – you and I attended the um, Buffalo um, Bison game when I was up in Buffalo in 92. That's right. I mean, the Bisons have been playing downtown now for, you know, 30-plus years. A little unfortunate. Obviously, it doesn't look like there's going to be any minor league baseball this year. But uh, the Empire State games were a great run. I covered, like, seven of them, I think, starting in the mid-'80s when they were here. And, you know, different times now, kids – you know, they play AAU sports in the summer, and the cost of the government to run an event like that. But it was, it was, it was a great time for 20 years or so when they had the Empire State Games here. Well, let's talk about the Sabers, Mike. And you know, you know, a few weeks ago, the Ghouls came out and say Jason Botter was coming back for fourth season. Then last week, all hell broke loose. What is going on? Hey, I was, you know, in. Deep, deep, deep off-season mode, thinking there's no hockey until training camp in roughly December. And then all of a sudden, he gets fired three weeks after the owner says, the team president, she says he's not getting fired. He's coming back. And, and, and okay, you know what? It's their team. They're allowed to change their minds. That's fine. They realize, the one thing that did happen, Ken, is they realized the draft was not going to be in June. When it was learned the draft was definitely in October, they did a much deeper reevaluation of things and realized we had time to make changes. Okay, but then they put the owners on a Zoom call at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Fair enough, that's fine. And then we start hearing more after the Zoom call is over. They fired like 19 more people after the owners talked to the media. And they had the new GM make the phone calls. Hey, I don't know who you are, but you're fired. I, I mean, it was just an utter disaster. I mean, the optics were terrible. I mean, let's not cut to the chase here. This team has been terrible. Some of these people deserve to get fired. I mean, they did. They deserve to get fired. But just, just a, a nightmarish scenario, and it made people around hockey go crazy because there was a lot of longtime hockey people just let go at the drop of a hat with two weeks of health care. And they fired the staff in Rochester, and, and now they basically are starting over rebuilding organization, you know, 
borderline like an expansion team. Yeah, you wrote last week that uh, you know Jason Botterill did a poor job as Sabres GM in many areas. His firing could be justified, but not so easily after the team president said three weeks earlier he was coming back for fourth season, and Botterill joins Tim Murray as the second consecutive GM to get only three years here. Are the Pagulas that impatient? Yeah. They're impatient, um, but I think they're impatient partly because of all the impatience around them. The fans have no more patience. The uh, the media has no more patience, as I raise my hand. Um, they're now at nine years and counting out of the playoffs, one year shy of the all-time NHL record for consecutive playoff misses. And it's an albatross in this organization. And until the Pagoulas took over in 2011, the first 41 years of the franchise they had never gone more than three years in a row out of the playoffs. So it's really a nightmare scenario for them. And, you know, the Pagoulas in general, they've gone through too many coaches and GMs, and it both with the Bills and the Sabres. Um, you know, you need to have continuity, but the other school of thought is if the person is not doing the job, you got to get them out of there. And Bobberle wasn't doing the job in a lot of ways, but to fire everyone in the organization, they're completely reevaluating their financial situation, how much they spend on front office staff, how much they spend on scouting, how much they spend in the AHL. It's a total change-up for them, and, and we're just going to have to see where it goes. How much do you think uh, the comments uh, from Jack Eichel and Rasmus Ritzelainen, uh, maybe shortly after the announcement that uh, Bottle was going to come back, I mean, did that play a role in uh, the Pagolas rethinking things? Well, it was interesting, the timing of it all. When Bottle did his end-of-season press conference on Zoom with the media, you know, I asked him, what's your plan? What's the plan? And his answer was simply, you know, we're going to keep developing our players, get them to Rochester, build up the organization, you know, teach them how to win, bring them here. So Eichel spoke a couple days later, and he was asked, what would you do to fix this thing? And his first answer was, I'm a player, I just play, it's not my area. But then, he, you know, he opened up and he said, well, we need a little help up front. We need a little more depth. And we need some veterans. Jack Eichel wasn't all in on draft and development, nor was I. He said veterans. The GM did not say veterans. Now, he also said, I'm, uh, I'm fed up with losing. It's been a rough five years, blah, 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 those comments that have been everywhere. Those weren't new. He had said that stuff to the media before. He certainly had said that to the Pagulas. He had said it to Botterill, the coaching staff. It became a big story because it was on the end-of-season Zoom call. But those weren't new comments. Did they have impact with the Pagulas? Sure. Did they lead to Botterill getting fired? No. I think the issue that Botterill got fired for was the Pagulas are having financial trouble in the wake of the pandemic with the Sabres, with all our other businesses, and they needed to cut back this organization. And the GM wasn't interested in cutting back the organization the way they wanted to. And they said, okay, Jason, thanks for your time. You're fired. And then they went and made all the cuts they wanted to that Botterill ostensibly didn't want to make. That's what happened. So how does Kevin Adams manage to be able to scout now and you know, prepare for a draft, which won't be till later this year, without a staff? Well, it's an interesting dilemma, you know, and the one thing about it is I asked him point blank, you know, all your people are gone, your scouting director, your assistant scouting director, most of your scouts are gone. All your intel is out there in the world now. Everybody knows what the Buffalo Sabres were thinking and were planning on doing. Maybe Adams will do a complete 180. He's going to have to hire a staff. He's going to have to hire a scouting director. Um, it's a real problem. Uh, they, you know, he has no experience running a draft, obviously. He's going to need to get a scouting director in here. And, I mean, they're waiting for Friday night for the lottery. And let's see if they get pick one, two, and three. For the most part, for the most part, if you get a top three pick, a hamster could make that pick. You know, it gets a little more difficult, you know, when you start getting there at the number seven position now. Do they hold that? Do they drop a little? Do they keep the pick? Do they trade the pick? And then what do you do in later rounds? And what's your philosophy? I mean, Botterill was criticized heavily for picking a lot of Europeans and not picking guys from the CHL. Well, maybe the Sabres are going to go out of that way again. Why? I think to cut back on money, to cut back on scouting expenditures. They were always over in Europe looking at guys. I think the Pagulas would rather have them draft some OHL guys. So 
it's a complete shift, and we are now going to have to learn the new organizational philosophy under Kevin Adams, whatever it turns out to be. How much does this set the organization back? Well, that's an interesting question because it sets them back in terms of organizational structure and you have to start over. But how much of a setback is it in the standings? I mean, you know, they haven't made the playoffs in nine years anyway. Um, they do have some pieces. I mean, Kim Pagula on the call said this is not a total rebuild, and I to some degree, I don't disagree with her. I mean, you're starting over from scratch. You don't have Jack Eichel and Rasmus Dahlin and Rasmus Ristolainen and Sam Reinhardt. You know, there's some pieces here, and they had, I mean, Ken, they had a lot of good wins this year. People think, oh, Sabres stink again. They had a lot of good wins. They really fell off in a couple areas. They had a couple of key injuries. And I've done a few interviews before, and I've thrown these stats. I'll do the same thing with you. What was the Sabres' power play this season in the month of November? Uh, 20%. One for 37. Jeez, yikes. How many hockey games are you going to lose in a month when you're one for 37 at the power play? At least 10 to 15. Here's the other one. What was the Sabres' save percentage this year on their penalty kill? Uh, I'll say 880. Eight. 40. Whew. I was Not 940, 840. You can't get a save on the penalty kill. That's how your penalty kill is 30th in the league and 31st on the road. They were at 68% penalty kill on the road this year. Yikes. They were really much better at 5-on-5 five five than they've been in the past. They really struggled on special teams. You know, they were 8th in the league. The Sabres were 8th in the league this year at home. They won 20 home games, but they only won 10 games on the road. They were, I think, 28th on the road. So there were really some specific areas that they fell short in that you can really point to their their downfall. And here's one other funny one. They have a lot of good wins, I said. They went 1-5 this year against Ottawa and Anaheim. Big problem. Yeah. And here's the other one. What was their record against Boston and Tampa? I will say 4-1. and 0-7. Oh, and seven. oh, Okay. You go, you go zero and seven against the top two teams in your division. You are not going anywhere. Yeah, yeah. and that's a problem. And look at they—they they need a few more points. They missed this twenty fourteen tournament by one win. The season was paused. They were in Montreal. They had played that night and won in regulation. They would have been in, and Montreal would have been out. And then we won't, probably wouldn't be talking right now, would we? <laughs> well, the other the joke I say is maybe we're not talking, but maybe also the league doesn't go to 24 teams because they went to 24 teams to make sure to get Montreal and Chicago in the field. Yeah. Maybe that wouldn't have been necessary to do if Buffalo was in that 12 spot. Although, you, Mike, you look at the ratings when the NBC TV ratings. Buffalo, Buffalo it does very well. I mean, they're one of the I top know. markets. Generally, Buffalo is one of the top three markets every year for the Stanley Cup Final. It's usually the two competing cities followed by Buffalo, which is one of the reasons the Buffalo News sends me to cover the Stanley Cup Final every year because they know a lot of people are paying attention to the games, and I really appreciate that. Um, NBC knows it. Gary, I was in Gary Bettman's office in August. He knows all about it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, maybe I'm a little cynical on that point. Certainly, I'm, I think I'm right that Montreal and Chicago played a big factor in the format. Maybe they would have if Buffalo had been in that 24th, that 12th spot in the East. But, uh, you know, yeah, I do think Botterill and all the staff are working right now if the Sabres are getting ready to play Pittsburgh in the play-in series. Maybe they all get fired in August when the series is over in a few games, but they're certainly all working right now. Ralph Kruger, what's his status? I mean, he seems right now still listed as a coach. Yeah, and I even wrote a column uh, yesterday in the paper. Ralph Kruger is the big winner here. Ralph Kruger is now the power player. He's the coach, but this is almost a two-headed GM with Ralph Kruger and Kevin Adams. Kevin Adams went on the road trip. We were on the end of February. We went out to Vegas, Arizona, Winnipeg, Colorado, and he was there. You know, he was the vice president of business, and you know, he's learning all the organization. Well, he was there picking Kruger's brains. And he and Kruger developed a relationship this season. And I think that was a big factor in some of this decision-making, that Kruger and Botterill seemed to have some disconnects, and Kruger and Adams got close. And at the time, when I saw him out there, at the time, a lot of people go out on trips to Vegas because the operation in Vegas is so unique to the NHL. A lot of teams send their people to Vegas to see what the Golden Knights are doing in their arena and outside. So it wasn't that unusual to see Kevin Adams on that particular road trip. 
obviously in the rear view mirror, it has a much different, you know, a much different look, but, uh, the, the ownership loves Kruger. They loved Rex Ryan when he was the coach of the bills. They love being wowed by great talk. I think Kruger is a much better coach than Rex Ryan was. Rex Ryan didn't want to put in the work. Kruger loves the work of being a coach, but I think Kruger has his background of program building, whether it was with Southampton in the premier league or whether it was with Switzerland in the Olympics or team Europe. And I think they feel Kruger could help them build here. And they've now given Kruger a much bigger voice because Kevin Adams even said, I'm going to be going with Ralph and a lot of the decisions. Well, I don't think Kruger had a lot of say in a lot of the decisions under Jason Bottle. Mm-hmm. Uh you mentioned the Stanley Cup playoffs. Obviously, we're seeing a spike in uh, coronavirus virus cases down in uh, some of the a lot of these states. Uh, I mean, can the NHL successfully pull off the Stanley Cup playoffs? I think they can. I think the bubble environment gives them a chance. Um, certainly, I, I would have a lot of concern about the NBA being in Orlando. Um, I think the NHL is going to do a much better job picking their site. You know, Vegas is a little dicey right now. I think they need to really consider Edmonton as a key place to go. There's a good, great setup there, plus the number of COVID cases are very low. But who would have ever thought the way things are going in April, best places to be right now might have been in Buffalo or New York City. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's just the way things have gone. Um, you know, you, you had to get all the baseball teams out of Florida and Arizona for spring training now. You know, you have some legitimate concern, I think, about the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Florida Panthers and the Arizona Coyotes going home to start their camp before they go to the hubs. How are they going to keep those teams in a bubble for the two weeks before they go wherever they're going to go? So, uh, yeah, there's they basically have to formulate their plan, formulate their dates, their schedules, whatever, and then see if they can play. I mean, this is still, to me, a big if. I mean, I hope they do it. I think they should make every effort to do it, both from a money standpoint. I don't, Ken, I don't buy all these people. Oh, just cancel the season. But why? Why cancel the season? They've played 70 games. It's a legitimate season. Mm-hmm. Play the playoffs. Okay, let's cancel the season and start next year. Well, what's to say things are going to be different in October or November? Yeah. You know, let's try to play now and see if we can play. You know, and you're looking at making $300 million or whatever it is in TV money if you play and losing it if you don't. Yeah. My, my my one concern, I mean, Sam Cachetti and I were talking about this uh, a couple weeks ago. I, I don't, I'm trying to figure out why they're not picking more than two hub cities because it seems you're going to have a lot of yeah, but a lot of games in one area. I mean, I, I don't know how they're going to pull that port, portion off, trying to get uh, as many games in as possible in a day. Yeah, you know, the one thing I thought of, which I haven't seen written about anywhere, is what happens when you get one of those four overtime games. Mm-hmm. Does the whole schedule get pushed back? Are you going to start some game at 11 o'clock local time at night? I mean, that hasn't been discussed. I think it's a real risk, 12 teams in one city. How many games a day are you going to play? I think you're really going to run roughshod over the ice in the building, too. Um, I, I, initially, I think their thought was four hubs, and I just think they were worried about, you know, they were worried about COVID, and I get it. But, you know, it's just it's just brutal. Yeah. Well, hopefully we get some hockey very soon. Uh, I have some questions for you for some of my Facebook uh, fans who uh, found out I was going to be talking to you. Uh, we had a lot of Sabres fans here in the in the uh, capital region. Uh, Mike Greenberg writes, uh, Ken, thanks for giving us Sabres fans a chance to ask Mike some questions he won't certainly shy away from. Uh, last week, Mike was very critical of the Pagula ownership given the implosion that happened in Buffalo's front office and in Rochester. Does Mike think ownership can even survive another couple of years of incompetence, given it's been years since the team has made the playoffs? Does Mike think the players can somehow rally and develop in this new, quote, unquote, efficient environment, given ownership dismantled the vast majority of the scouting department? How many years did these firing, how many years did these firings set the organization back? Is becoming more lean, efficient, a sign of the Pagoulas may look to sell slash flip the organization to new ownership? Well, there's a lot there to, to ponder. Um, I don't think necessarily spending less is problematic. I wrote a column today. They, they've spent to the cap. What do they want? You have to spend the right money on the right people, not the most money. This goes all the way back to when they signed Billy Lane and Christian Erhoff nine years ago. It didn't help them. 
Um, they have to spend the right money. Drafting and developing, if they've had, they're, they're going to hire people. I mean, they had 15 amateur scouts. They fired 11. Well, they're not going to have four scouts, but they're not going to have 15 anymore. So they'll have nine or 10. They'll be average in the league instead of at the top end. You know, so they, they, you know, all this purge, they fired 22 people. Well, they're not going to not replace anybody. They're going to, instead of having 22 people, they'll probably hire 12 or 14, like every other business in the country. The bigger question is, would they sell the team? They want to win. No one should doubt that they want to win. I've said this many times. They just don't know how to win. Would they sell the Sabres? The Sabres are losing a lot of money. But the Pagula's businesses in general are losing money. They're in the oil business. What are their side businesses? Restaurants and hotels right around the arena. They're all closed, you know? So they're losing money in all their side businesses. Um, but they make a lot of money on an NFL football team. You know, would they sell the Sabres someday? They were asked point blank a few weeks ago about it. The answer was unequivocally no. I mean, the world changes, times change, you never know. And it's going to be hard, though. They paid $189 million. I'm sure they could sell the Sabres for four or $500 million. But now they have a 25-year-old arena and needs renovation. Who would buy the Sabres? I think selling the Sabres right now is not in the cards. I think all this purge is not an indication necessarily of a sale. I think it's... They do want to do things leaner. They, you know, they said, what happened nine years ago? We're going to have no restrictions. Well, nine years ago, they didn't own a football team. You know, they spent a billion four to buy the bills. They spent a lot of their money to buy the bills. So that, that changes the scenario from when they bought the team. And, of course, they you know, donated, what, $88 million to Penn State to start hockey there. So that's another. <laughs> right. I mean, in 2011, he had no intention of buying the bills. Ralph Wilson was still alive. Yeah. You know, times change, life changes, philosophies change. Some of the quotes from his initial press conference are unfortunate. But, you know, I mean, I still think they're committed to trying to win here. They see how much fun it is to win with the Bills. Um, but they got to start making money on this hockey team and figure out how to win. If you don't get in the playoffs in the NHL, you can't make money. And that's where they're really in trouble. Andy Wise is asking, can the organization hang on to Jack Eichel if they keep reorganizing like this? You know, it's a $6 million question. You hear it all over Twitter. Where's he going to go? Yeah. You know, where's Jack Eichel going to go? Jack Eichel, walk, everybody's talked about Connor McDavid last year, and Evan, oh, he's going to want out. Okay, well, you can't trade a guy like that. Everybody says to me on Twitter all the time, oh, well, Gretzky got traded. Anybody can get traded. How are you going to trade Jack Eichel in a salary cap league? Who are you going to get for Jack Eichel? What five players are somebody going to give you for Jack Eichel? Who would you want for Jack Eichel? And the Sabres don't have a great record of five-for-one trades anyway, as we saw two years ago, trading Ryan O'Reilly to St. Louis. Mm-hmm. He becomes the first, you know, Botterill's career epitaph right now is he's the first GM in history to trade the guy who becomes the Consumite Trophy winner the next year. <laughs> so, you know, they're not trading Jack Eichel. Jack Eichel wants to win here. And you know what? Too bad, Jack. You took your long-term deal. Mm-hmm. If Jack thought, well, let's see how this plays out, Jack could have done what Austin Matthews did. He could have other. He didn't have to sign an eight-year deal. He signed an eight-year extension, so he's here. Good luck trying to ever trade him. If Jack were to say, "I want out," good luck. So I just think people are obsessing about that point, and that's just not realistic in a salary cap world. Final question: As is somebody you know, Bob Suda. That name sound familiar? He built a nice career out in Syracuse. Yeah, he also worked here in the area of Detroit record covering RPI. He's asking, are the Pagulas simply too involved on the hockey side? Why is that the case? Is it strictly finances? There are some solid prospects coming. Where do you see reason for hope? Well, the first thing, you got to see what happens Friday night. Because, holy cow, your outlook changes if they end up one, two, or three in that lottery. That's the first thing. There's hope right there. Um, there's some prospects in Rochester. I think Dylan Cousins, their number one draft pick last year, played in the Western League. He looks like a really a guy who could really help them. They're hopeful of guys like Casey Middlestad and Will Borgen and Jacob Bryson in Rochester. Um, you know, there was a time where I didn't think the Pagulas were that involved. And they were too involved at the beginning with Airhoff and Leno, and they got rid of Darcy gear, and then they got away from it a little. And, and the one, the one red flag in the press conference last week was when Terry Pagula said, "We felt we weren't being heard." 
think they were out of the loop with Botterill, and now they want in the loop, and that's just not a good thing. They're going to be more involved now than ever. And I don't think that's a good thing at all because I don't think they know what they're doing. I don't think they know hockey. You know, I think they love hockey. They love hockey. There's no doubt they love hockey. They love making money, too, but they love hockey. They don't know how to build a winning hockey team, and they should get out of the way and let the people do it. But, you know, they haven't brought in a president of hockey operations, an experienced guy to help their third straight rookie GM. You know, and I think they're just hoping they get lucky like they did with the Bills. I mean, McDermott is a first-time head coach. Brandon Bean's a first-time GM. They got lucky. Can that lightning hit twice again? I don't know. Mike, where can people follow you on Twitter? By M. Harrington is the place to go. Buffalonews.com is the place to go. There's never been a better time to support local journalism. We need everybody. Uh, the support we've gotten during this pandemic has been unbelievable. Digital subscriptions going crazy. Page views going crazy. And we're still producing an eight-page Sunday sports section, four pages during the week with no sports. But really, there's not no sports. There's no games going on. So we're still getting it, getting it going there. We've really got a terrific staff, and the support has been amazing. And, you know, I, I can't wait again to the day comes where we can start talking about games again. But in terms of the Sabres, boy, it's going to be a long time. It looks like next season won't start for them until January. Yeah, that's going to be interesting how that's going to turn out, how many games the NHL is going to play next season. I can't see them playing a full 82-game schedule. I think the goal, again, I think they're going to start in January maybe go to August. I think they want to play a full schedule. I don't know how realistic that is, but they could probably, you know, get to 70 again, for sure. You know, I mean, there's revenue lost this year, but most teams only had five or six home games left. So I think the goal for next year, until they can get things straightened out in two years, is to get at least 70 games in next year. They'll be all right. Well, Mike, it was great catching up with you. Great talking a little Sabres hockey with you. And uh, let's do this again sometime as we get closer to... uh... Maybe you know Stanley Cup Finals and then uh, you know the regular season next year. All right, Ken, appreciate having me on, and thanks to everybody for the questions. And it's never dull around here, like I said. <laughs> it's fun. I enjoy reading your Twitter feeds, and uh, uh, you know you're taking you know the fans to ask. And sometimes you got to do that. You got to set them straight. Yep. That's <laughs> I, I just call like I see it. That's right. Uh, thanks, Mike. That's Mike Carrington. We'll be back to wrap up the podcast in just a moment. Hi, this is Miles Reed, editor of the Daily Gazette. These are difficult times. For most of us, the coronavirus crisis has been a time of unprecedented upheaval, uncertainty, and fear. What does it all mean for our health, our families, our jobs, and our futures? At the Daily Gazette, our journalists have been working tirelessly to answer these questions and many more that have come up during this whole pandemic. How many people have tested positive locally? How many have died? Has anyone died in the local nursing homes? Now, in these difficult times, we're turning to you to support our work by purchasing a subscription or making a donation to help fund our daily efforts. With your support, these are the questions we're continuing to report on. Every day, our reporters and photographers have been working the streets and the phones to answer these critical questions. And every day, they answer the bell with their timely and well-documented reports from the front lines in the region. Behind the scenes, the rest of our editorial team, including our sports writers, copy editors, and digital producers, have been wholly focused on covering the COVID-19 story. During this critical time, everyone here at the paper is working to provide important news and information to keep the community safe and connected. But our ability to serve our community is being threatened by some economic challenges posed by the pandemic. We have stay-at-home orders, business closures, and school shutdowns, and they're contributing to the massive instability in the local business landscape. Despite all of these changes, the Gazette will remain committed to serving the community for many years to come, just as we've been doing unfailingly for the past 125 years. So please go to thedailygazette.com and donate or purchase a subscription to the Daily Gazette. Thank you, be well, and please keep reading. 
Hi, this is Mark Kestisher, the voice of the NBA on ESPN Radio and proud member of the 518 from Gilderland High School. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Schott. Now, here's Ken. Back to wrap up the podcast. Keep checking out dailygazette.com and the print edition for the latest updates in news and sports on the coronavirus pandemic. I want to thank all the doctors, nurses, and first responders who are dealing with this pandemic. We appreciate the job you are doing in this difficult time. Also, now that the state is starting to reopen, that doesn't mean you should relax. Keep wearing the face mask while you're out. Be considerate. That wraps up another edition of the Parting Shots podcast. I'd like to thank Tim Kirkshin and Mike Harrington for coming on the show. The Parting Shots podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, and SoundCloud. Subscribe today. If you have questions or comments about the podcast, email them to me at shot, that's S-C-H-O-T-T, at dailygazette.com. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Slapshots. The views expressed on the Parting Shots podcast are not necessarily those of Gazette newspapers. The Parting Shots podcast is a production of Gazette newspapers. I'm Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. From the Parting Shots podcast studio in Schenectady, New York, good day, good sports, and stay safe.